You're listening to the Tree Council's podcast, Life on the Hedge. In this series, we're setting you on a path to a blossoming career in nature. You'll hear from young people as they start out in conservation, forestry, horticulture and more. We'll give you the inside story on what it's really like and tell you all you need to know to start your own journey in the green sector. And at the heart of our series, hedgerows. These hidden heroes are the UK's largest priority habitat, supporting more than 2,000 species. But more than 50% of our hedgerows have been lost since World War II, and many of those that remain are under threat. With their carbon-guzzling, pollution-absorbing powers, hedgerows are crucial in the fight against climate change. So let's get to know them. Welcome to Glentress Forest. In this very special forest, tourism, leisure, conservation, commercial forestry and history all collide in one very scenic location about 25 miles south of Edinburgh. I'm Emma Bryden and I'm a member of Scotland's Young People's Forest Panel. If you've not heard of us, we're a group of 13 young Scots who are working to co-design and create a forest right here in Scotland. Today, I'm meeting an inspirational forester who's helping us make our passion a reality. Let's go and find her. Since I joined this Young Scott and YouthLink project, I've been able to take up loads of amazing opportunities that align with my passion for nature and the environment. YouthLink is the national agency for youth work here in Scotland, and Young Scott is Scotland's leading information and citizenship charity. I'm actually working in finance as a day job as a market researcher, but through Scotland's Young People's Forest, I feel like I'm really able to make a difference to the climate emergency and make a difference to our future legacy. I've been able to speak at the COP26 conference, which was really exciting, and I've met loads of wonderful people. The group of 13 volunteers meet every fortnight to learn about and help design our new forest and we're just about to make some really big decisions about the site we'll be planting and that'll mean we'll need some real help on picking kind of what species to plant, where to have the forest. There's, there's honestly so much to consider from an environmental, longevity and a social perspective. I'm joined by Ros Wardman who's a forest industries advisor for Scottish forestry. Hi Roz. Hi Emma. Roz, when we first met you, the Young People's Forest crew did a trip to Nethercroy Forest and you toured us around the woodland. You really opened sort of our eyes to the many different roles a forest can play and kind of what we need to consider when we're building our own forest. Can you tell me more about your role, what you do in your job as Forestry's Industries Advisor? Because it's more exciting than it sounds, isn't it? So my role covers two main areas. First of all, I work with small businesses in any area of the forestry industry and secondly I promote forestry as a career. So when we went to Nethercroy I was able to give you a tour around the woodland with the local community ranger and what we were seeking to do was to give you an insight into the multifunctional nature of forestry and all the different aspects that you would need to think about when planning your own forest. So you mentioned that part of your job includes sort of inspiring other young people to sort of join careers in forestry. What kind of opportunities are there at the moment? We're at a really exciting time in forestry. We've got government targets about woodland creation. So we're expanding woodland across the whole of Scotland and the whole of the UK. 
So that needs to be planted, but also that forest will need to be managed in time. So it's a really good time to join the industry. There's a number of routes that you can come into forestry. First of all, there could be through the educational route where you go and do a degree or foundation degree in forestry. There's also opportunities with apprenticeships and they're advertised with Forestry and Land Scotland or Scottish Forestry and also many other private industries are also offering apprenticeships or graduate training programmes. Amazing, that sounds really exciting and I'm sure lots of young people are very keen to get involved. We're actually at phase one of planning our forest right now but obviously there's there's more to it than kind of picking somewhere and deciding the species that we want to plant. So what are the kind of key things you think that we should be considering? It's a really hard question because I think you're in a chicken and egg situation at the moment where you've got to get your location and once you know your location you can start assessing soil type or aspect the local climate and also what is in that area is it an urban setting or a rural setting and then I know you have also done work on what is the objective of that site so what do you want it to fulfill is it a commercial forest is it a forest for native species and biodiversity or is it for access so you might want to think about pathways and allowing people to move through the site so I think first of all nailing down that location and then from there the world's your oyster with what you want to do I'm super excited to get our location nailed as well that's going to definitely be be kind of the start of everything I'm just thinking you know if we end up in a more urban setting how do you think the needs of the forest might differ from somewhere more rural like we are today I think an urban setting will have a higher pressure from the local community. So you will need to factor in access and how people are going to be moving through the site. Also, what is their impression of a forest? Unfortunately, we seem to read to our children many stories about a deep, dark wood. So it might be that you want to have more open planting, so where the trees are a little bit separated so that you can have visual aspects running through so you don't feel that you're enclosed and also are there any local groups who are wanting to use it for example a forest school or a nursery or older groups as well dementia groups can sometimes go out for a walk and they're you know lovely aspects for an urban woodland and then unfortunately we do need to talk about antisocial behavior so again that might be that lifting of the crown so you can see through the trees so you don't feel enclosed but also then about managing and litter picking which is the really unglamorous part of the job but that is something that would need to be considered too. And as hedgerows are the star of this series I wanted to ask how you would recommend incorporating them into our forest plan. It's a really good point hedgerows where we are we're in a rural setting so we have hedgerows running into our woodlands through the neighboring land which is mostly farmland so they're offering these little corridors zooming in and out of our woodland now in an urban setting which i think maybe is perhaps more the direction you're going in incorporating in hedgerows can add to those corridors coming in and out of the woodland from people's back gardens and any neighbouring green spaces. You can also use it about marking out areas 
and also as a design feature leading people into an area and again let's go back to that unglamorous job it's not very sightly but a hedgerow actually can do a very good job of capturing litter so it doesn't scatter further so on your maintenance routine once a week somebody is walking along that hedge line pick 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 all the litter is out and it hasn't spread further so a hedge isn't just there as the corridor for nature that we all talk about it offers shelter it offers design features and you can incorporate lots of different species in there which also in the springtime there could be gorgeous blossom from blackthorn and hawthorn and then the ability to bring people into the site too. So it's still drizzling, but I know we're keen to get moving and see a bit of the, the forest. So perhaps you can take me on a little tour of Glentress, Ros. Yes, absolutely. Let's get up the hill and see if there's any views for us today. So this is Hawthorne blossom, starting to blossom. And that's what I just think is so lovely. It's early spring and you've already got things blossoming. Yeah. And I think certainly in an urban setting, if you're bringing in some species like hazel with the little catkins and hawthorn with the blossom. Something worth It's like, yeah, visual yeah. diversity as well. My name's Chris Thorogood and I'm the Deputy Director and Head of Science at the University of Oxford Botanic Garden and Arboretum. Like most people in their jobs, I spend time in front of a screen, whether that's in, in meetings or, or writing proposals and writing scientific papers. But I also spend time out in the plant collections that the Botanic Garden and the Arboretum holds and whether that's for research, conservation or teaching purposes. One of the parts of my job that I really enjoy is actually talking to people at the beginning of their career. I'm a big believer in following your passion, do what you love, love what you do. I have a passion for plants. When I was a, a kid, I was fascinated uh, to the point of obsession, I would say, actually, with living things. And so my bedroom windowsill was a, a sort of botanical chaos if you like <laughs> and when I was 16 I worked in a sea life aquarium because I was also really interested in sea life so I was sort of destined to become a biologist and I think if you have a passion for nature and biology and wildlife it's something that you never lose you have it with you your whole life and some people are lucky enough like I have been to incorporate it as part of their career and other people not so much but but it's still something that I see as like a gift having a, a real passion for nature I think sometimes people can be quite scared by the question you know what or what do you plan to do with the rest of your life how do you see your career panning out and people don't always know the answer and firstly that's okay and secondly how you might have planned it might not turn out and that's okay too because I never would have planned the journey that I've been on but certainly looking back I wouldn't change it either Think about the things that you're really good at in your job and your career that motivate you, that get you going and try and find how you can incorporate those into the job that you're doing or to a future role because that's how you'll thrive. The wonderful thing about working with plants and nature and in green spaces and, and I really celebrate this is that there are all sorts of different ways that you can work for an organisation. So just at the Botanic Garden and the Arboretum, we have about 40 people in our team. So we're quite a small team across both the sites. 
And the breadth of jobs is just extraordinary. So we have, for example, trainees and apprentices uh, working in practical horticulture and also arboriculture as well. So people who learn how to manage treescapes, which is quite a different environment to working at the Botanic Garden. And people working under glass with tropical ornamental plants and research collections, people working in the garden and people working in the arboretum as well, doing all sorts of, of different things. You know, we have people here working in digital communications and things like that, and they, they, they start to learn much more about plants and the collections and from, from a very different aspect. I've never met anybody who said that they regretted it or didn't like it. So we've walked up the hill, um, a nice slidey track, but we're at a lovely viewpoint looking over the valley and we're in amongst the trees and the moss. Ros, why don't you tell us a bit more about where we are? We can see the, the River Tweed down in the valley bottom and we are surrounded by, we've got Scots Pine, we've got a bit of fir, Grand Fir I think over there and some Norway Spruce and if we have a little look around we can also see loads of lichen dripping off the tree branches. We've had quite a winter of repeated storms we started with storm arwin before christmas and then we went on to dudley and malik all these different names so the forest industry has been hit quite considerably with the amount of storm damaged trees and they are in a program now to be harvested so that the timber is not lost we're also standing just to one side of a mountain bike trail we've just had two mountain bikers go squeaking past us i think squeaky brakes after all this rain they were covered in mud but i think they still had a smile on their face what do you love about this place why is glentress so special to you i think i have a two-part answer for that first of all when i was studying forestry i met a guy and let's just move on a bit now because he's now my husband. So Glentress was where I met my husband. So of course, it's a very special place for me. Secondly, from a forester's point of view, it's a really lovely woodland combining so many different aspects of recreation, but also really interesting timber. And further up the hill is a University of Edinburgh study area which is continuous cover forestry it was started back in about the 1950s and it's looking at different ways of planting trees and different types of tree cover so instead of a plantation of one or two species all even aged you know planted at the same time it's looking at a range of species and ages so there's a real mix with canopy height and then, of course, the vegetation on the ground as well. So there's a lot to see here, and that's why I like it. So lots going on at Glentress, and that's a lovely story about you and your husband. So does something like this forest grow naturally? How much has human activity shaped the kind of species and nature that we're seeing here? Yeah, this is a managed forest, managed for the timber. So there are multiple interventions that will come in whether that be for thinning, so removing some of the, the crop so that then what is left can grow on into good, straight, high-quality timber, or then the interventions of the recreation trails and enabling users to come in and safely take part in activities here. What sort of pressures will foresters of the future have to face when they're managing spaces like this? 
climate change is impacting how we manage the woodlands today and going on into the future. We've got an increase in pests and diseases, which are also driven by the changes in the weather. So warmer, milder winters means that the pests and diseases aren't really dying back during the winter and they've got a better foothold into the next growing season. But also the changing weather pattern, so heavier rain, sudden downpours are causing flooding further downstream. So forestry has a huge part to play in mitigating for flooding in our local towns and communities. So we can be planting further upstream to help absorb that water and the runoff. So Emma, you can see from a forester's perspective, there's a lot of different considerations that impact the job that we're doing. What sort of questions have you and the the panel at Scotland's Young People's Forest had to answer as part of the planning process? So our mission is to work to create and regenerate native Scottish forests to help combat the current sort of climate emergency. And we're looking to focus on education, wildlife, wilderness and well-being. We actually have six objectives ranging from managing and regenerating various areas of land as forest sanctuaries for native Scottish wildlife to sort of creating accessible outdoor spaces for people to reconnect with nature. And we have a goal to enable and empower other young people to take action on issues of climate change and environmental concern. So the project is built to empower young people and enable them to make a physical difference We believe that young people are underrepresented in decision making in society. I remember you talking about that at COP26 because I was able to watch that talk. And it is something that we, the decision makers, I think do have to take into account and bring young people into the conversation. Forestry is a very long term industry. We're always having to think 25, 50, 75, 100 years in advance. So what's being planted today isn't going to be harvested till past my retirement. So these woodlands do need to have good community consultations and bringing these youth panels in to help talk about it. I think as well, the other aspect, the health and well-being. The past two years, we have seen that people do need to get out into green space to help them relax, to take them into a different environment. And that is so important. So well done. Emma, what drew you to get involved with the project? So I'd just come out of university when I heard about the project, actually. So I'd just graduated studying history and I was kind of unsure what to do. I'd recently got a job, which was fantastic, but I've always had this sort of pull and interest towards making a meaningful difference through the environment. I've always loved being outside and I really was interested in sort of meeting people with the same values of me so I could make a difference as a group. My mum actually sent me the details about the panel she saw online and she just said, oh Emma, I think this would be absolutely perfect for you, right up your alley. And I actually applied straight away, which was great. Got a phone call soon after. So it's, it's a really great space to be able to play in and I really hope that we're able to make a difference. 
Do you think there is a connection between your love of history and your passion for the environment? I've got a huge love for history and I think it's really connected to the land we live in. We look back, you know, even just a few years and we see how our ancestors interacted with the land around us. I really feel that young people and sort of, you know, people of all generations, we're, we're losing that connection with land and I think forestry is a really important way for us to connect back with that. So it's incredibly important for us to partner up with experts like yourself. Thanks again, Ros, for helping us navigate this really difficult space. My pleasure. It sounds to me like there's a, a really good group of young foresters there. Do you think it's particularly important that young people can connect to the land? I think it's hugely important. You know, we hear it time and time and again, this sort of eco-anxiety, this climate anxiety. And speaking to the individuals in the panel and in the group gives a sense of like, you know, a shared problem, you know, problem half to that kind of idea. We're all working towards doing something good. It makes you feel a lot less guilty about things. And I think that's really important. So Roz, there's a lot of people in the forest panel who I know want to go into careers in forestry and it'd be really great to hear from you what advice you would offer to someone who wants to sort of get to grips with the opportunities in forestry today. So my own career path into forestry wasn't a traditional route. I actually started out working backstage in theatre and opera and I decided to pursue my other interest which was trees and forests and I studied forestry. Other people do come into the industry through different routes. There are apprenticeships that you can you know take part in. The trees and timber apprenticeship can then lead you on into work in forestry and also the opportunity to work your way up. Job roles such as tree planting or forest craftsperson are a good starting job or even the assistant woodland officer. So it's good to look out for those roles. I would highly recommend anyone who is interested to go and have a look at the various websites. So Scottish Forestry, Forestry and Land Scotland, Institute of Chartered Foresters, uh, CONFOR, which is the Confederation of Forest Industries. Also, I would recommend taking up volunteering opportunities, whether that be, you know, tree planting or hedgerow planting. So uh, get out in whatever weather. Learn how to uh, get soaked to the skin, as we are doing today. <laughs> if you want to find out any more about any of the organisations and traineeships we've mentioned here today, head along to treecouncil.org.uk forward slash life on the hedge. We've put some useful tips on hedges there too. Found this episode interesting? Share it with a friend and give us a shout out on social media with the hashtag Life on the Hedge. You can find more Life on the Hedge stories from the Tree Council on this podcast feed. How about rating and reviewing our show on your podcast app? Not only does it help people find out about the show, but it also means you can help us celebrate how important our humble hedgerows are to the world. We'd also like to thank the partners who made this series possible. The Tree Council created Life on the Hedge as part of the Close the Gap programme funded by the government's Green Recovery Challenge Fund. The fund is being delivered by the National Lottery Heritage Fund in partnership with Natural England and the Environment Agency. 